1: Well, good morning, everyone. It's Josephine here today, and I am so pleased to have a special guest on our show today. His name is Jeff Leventhal, and Jeff is actually a great family friend, and he has been so kind to donate an entire hour um, away from his business to come and share lots of knowledge with us today. And, um... I was just explaining to somebody who Jeff was and the way I can explain him best is by saying Jeff is big time. He is brilliant, he is smart, he is kind and he is just so generous and I really want to welcome Jeff to our show and thank him so much for for giving us his time and sharing his knowledge with us today. So are you there Jeff?
2: Good morning Josephine, how are you?
1: Good morning, Jeff. I'm doing great today. So, I just want to let our listeners know how brilliant you are and how you actually founded and sold four technology service companies during the past 19 years. So, Jeff, my question to you is, were you 12 years old when you started your first company? (laughs)
2: Um, You know, not exactly 12, but the DNA (laughs) to want to start companies, I guess, starts very early in life.
1: Yeah, it's amazing to me, Jeff, that you're so young, so brilliant, and so successful. So um, with that, I just thought maybe we could start from the time when you really were young. I mean, we both came from very humble backgrounds, which I think... Mm -hmm makes your story so amazing, and um, and then I thought maybe you could bring us up to where you are today and tell us how, you know, you bought and sold companies and what you're currently working on, and then we'll jump right into some ideas for our, customers, for our listeners. How's that, Jeff?
2: Sure, sure.
1: Okay, uh, so tell us how, you know, how you started. Um,
2: well, so way back when, uh, as a teenager or um, you know even you know 12 13 years old I did start forming jobs uh, around the neighborhood and uh, I got the bug of you know working for yourself is kind of fun to do setting your hours is fun to do and making money is fun is a fun thing to do as well um, I think that if you ever sit out to say hey I'm doing something just to make money it, it's not the same kind of thing but if, you, if, you're, if, if your endeavor is to bring satisfaction to somebody who you're working for if you enjoy doing that, You know, money is always the result. Um, And so, you know, that's a lesson I learned early in life by satisfying customers, whether it was mowing their lawns or shoveling their driveways or doing other odds and errands around their house. Uh, Those are things that I enjoyed to do. And so the fact that I got paid was almost secondary. Yeah, that's amazing.
1: That's amazing to me, Jeff, that you had that attitude when you were so young and how even now when we've had conversations, I just love that about you that – you just make everything so fun. You're so relaxed. You keep everything as simple as you can. And um, the money just kind of comes, and it, it almost is a game to you. And I just think it's amazing how, how great you do that.
2: It's, you know, it's more so than a game, it's a sport that I like to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, developing the ideas, so, you know, from, from starting out early on, you know, I, I went on to building a company that did home improvements throughout high school, and the company was called Atlantic decks. And you know, we were living in an area of Long Island, New York, where that was just starting to be developed. Um, and many people needed to add a deck to their house. And so when you're looking at all these new houses and you see that there's just a, you know, a small little set of stairs coming off the back door, you know, it was just opportunity knocking. And literally, myself and a friend, we just knocked on doors, offering to build people their deck. And uh, lo and behold, that was the uh, genesis of the first company. Um, I think we started that when I was 16, and we sold it when we were 19. Um, oh, my God, Jeff. The first I, year in college.
1: That's amazing. I was actually kidding when I asked you if you were 12 when you started your own company. <laughs> so at 16, here you are, you know, a success that people spend their lives trying to figure out how to do something. And this is what I'm saying about you, Jeff, is that you keep everything so simple, but you make it work. And like you said, customer service or customer satisfaction is probably the one key to your success.
2: And listening. You know, I would say that, you know, a lot of people are out there doing home improvements and they're building decks and they're doing things, but, you know, are they really building a company that can be sold? Um, what mm-hmm. we did was we ended up building a company that not only built decks, but we washed the decks, and we ended up signing maintenance contracts with our clients. So, Josephine, yeah. if I came to you and said, I'm going to build your deck for $2,000, but every single year you need to power wash that deck? You need to seal it, and you need to set up your lawn furniture. Um, you know, it's going to cost you five or six hundred dollars a year to do that. If you sign an agreement with me to, for me to do it for you for the next three years, I'll charge you three hundred and fifty dollars or four hundred dollars. I'll give you a discount for that agreement. And lo and behold, that was the that was the uh, uh, crux of the company. That's what that's what was able to be sold with those those agreements with, for the guaranteed workflow. And honestly, that came from listening to customers. Customers kept saying. You know, I have to do this every year. This, you know, how do we make this easier? Um, and listening to the customer was the key. And, oh, you know, coming up with that service was was valuable. It really wasn't that valuable to build a deck. You're as good as your last job. But when you oh. can get the agreement to work for the customer ongoing, it was very valuable.
1: See, that's amazing, Jeff. I love the fact that when you start out a business, and it happens so often with a lot of businesses, is that you are taking a road and you're taking a path, and the next thing you know – Your business turns out to be something completely different from when you started and it's just so important to be flexible and it sounds like that's what you guys did you just kind of went out there and your customers told you what they wanted you satisfied them and like you said it was it became saleable and one thing I remember you telling me Jeff that is so important is that when you start your business the way you think sometimes is that you create your plan of action on how to exit the business. Did I
2: well, not did not I always it? on I don't always think about the exit, but I think about what I want the end result of the business to do. What uh-huh. where what do what what I want to be in five years with the business. Okay. And then I start to figure out how am I going to get there.
1: Okay. Now Jeff, do you start with a business plan?
2: Yes. But you know, what people call, you know, there's many, many, many definitions of a business plan and a business plan becomes a roadblock for some people, and for some people it's an, it's an easier endeavor to do. Um, a business plan needs to serve you and help you think out your thoughts in the process.
1: Okay, so we'll go back to the, the deck-building business. So, Jeff, when you guys were that young, did you guys, uh, as, you know, uh, with you and your partner, did you guys have, like, an informal business plan, the way you guys were thinking about how you would go about the business and everything?
2: Uh, Well, it was was so informal that it was really just a conversation. Um, Here Uh are houses. They need decks. Let's go sell them decks. Um, Uh And, you know, that was the start of it. And then then you start to figure out all the things that are involved. Like you Uh need to get a lot of lumber, and lumber costs money, and, you know, you need some credit because you want that lumber before you're going to build a deck before you get paid. And as you Uh learn about that you need credit, and then all of a sudden you figure out that you need a license to do this, uh-huh. You know, figure out how do I get a license to do this. I just did it. I just built five of these, and I didn't do it with a license. And then right. you figure that you, your customers need permits. Um, so uh, you know, the learning funny. process along the way, and, you know, it, it's better to know those things ahead of time right. than doing them as you go along. I think it's a fine yeah. balance, though. When you know too much about a business, it might scare you away. When you get right. into it, you know, and you learn about it as you go along and you figure things out, that's part of the value creation.
1: Yeah, and I think you learn with your mistakes a lot of times. It's just like, you know, when I started Glovies, it was the same thing, Jeff. I mean, I didn't know the first thing about bringing, uh, you know, about inventing a product, about finding manufacturers and negotiating and all of that good stuff. So you're right. A lot of times you just kind of put one foot uh, in front of the other, and somehow it all kind of works out.
2: Mistakes are okay. Mistakes are great. Mm -hmm. Just don't do them twice.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great. That's a great tip. So don't (laughs) beat yourself up when you make a mistake, I guess. A mistake is
2: okay. That's part of the learning experience.
1: All right. So I'm fascinated with you. You know that. So now we are moving on to college. So now you're 19. You sell your business. Who did you sell it to, Jeff? Did you sell it to, like, somebody who knew about decks or anything? I'm just kind of curious.
2: We did. We sold it to another company that was in the deck building business on Long Island. They happen to have been handling the eastern part of Long Island. And we were on the western part of Long Island, so they thought it was very complimentary to enter our market. Uh And look, you know, today is twenty years later, twenty-one years later, they're still in business running. You know, they're still in business running the business that we sold them.
1: Yeah, but alongside their business,
2: you know what? I pass it often when I head out east on Long Island, and I see, Uh I see that they're still there. It's kind of amazing.
1: (laughs) That's so funny to me, but that's how seriously they took you. And your partner, that they said, okay, we have these two young kids. We can't even call you college kids because you weren't in college yet, right?
2: We were in our first year of college.
1: Your first year of college, okay. So they see these young college kids, and they buy your business. So yep. that's that's impressive.
2: You know, All age right. is age is just a number. It's not something that you know whether you're old or you're young. It, it it's just a number. It doesn't mean anything else.
1: Yeah, uh, it sounds good, Jeff. I'm older than you, though. Remember that, Jack. <laughs> all right. We don't need everybody to know that. But all right. So now um, so what did you do in, in college? Because I know college probably bored you because you have such a creative mind. So we um, have one minute before break, but I'd love to, you know, hear what you think.
2: Well, college was a combination of odd jobs, doing some home improvement work for myself, teaching in college. I taught um, for the Department of Education at our college, we, okay. we retrained adults in the local market there with computer skills and other college courses uh, that they want, you know, the state paid to educate these people and retrain them so they can go in and qualify for a better jobs. So that was an amazing experience. You know, when you learn how to teach somebody something and they benefit from it, um, it's just an incredible experience to watch somebody change from a low paying job to, to be able to do something, you know, much more um, productive.
1: Oh, it's so, so that was a big part of college
2: was teaching. Yeah,
1: that's amazing to me and it's so rewarding. And you know, Jeff, the reason why I have you on my show today is because you pay it forward in every everything you do. And I can't believe I didn't realize you were paying it forward in college also, helping others, you know, teach others in college. But anyway, all right, Jeff, we'll be right back. <laughs>
0: right back with more paying it forward with josephine jirassi right after these on togynet.com critical thinking in the real world what does it take to get ahead and stay ahead of the curve in this ever-changing world around us critical thinking in the real world with Janet hens wednesdays at 1 p.m central on togynet Mind Matters is the show that dares to ask what's on your mind. Take this opportunity to join Dr. Larry Ross, clinical psychologist, and Joan Johane, licensed clinical social worker, as they combined have over 50 years of experience in dealing with your mind. Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, only on TogiNet Radio. Welcome back to Paying It Forward, the show dedicated to helping every entrepreneur be more successful as we discuss accomplishments, lessons learned, and sharing those ideas. Now, let's get back to bang It Forward with Josephine Jirasi on toginet.com.
1: Well, welcome back, everyone. It's Josephine, and I have Jeff Levinfall with us today. And, um, Jeff, so before we move on, I just have a real quick question for you about your deck-building business. Where did, sure. you, um, where did you come up? Well, not so much where you came up with the idea. We covered that basis already, but did you know how to build a deck? Like, did you just, how did you figure that out?
2: I I had no idea how to build a deck. It was really just, you know, the inspiration was the opportunity, seeing these rows of new houses that needed something more than what they had. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you need to adapt and learn how to do something, right? So so the opportunity was there, but certainly I did not have the skill. Uh, They don't teach deck building in uh, grade school.
1: Right. So, um,
2: <laughs> so, I had, so I had purchased the Time Life Home Improvement Series set of books. Wow. And, you know, after winning my first deck job, I, uh, I, uh, I actually hired a deck company. I, I had asked another deck company to come to my house and give me an estimate for a similar statement of work or scope of work that um, the customer who I had engaged asked me for. And wow. so therefore, you know, this person kind of educated me in that process. And, uh, then I took my book and some ideas that I learned in that meeting and I, sh- and I ordered some wood and mm-hmm. I showed up on site and I tried to build a deck. Um, I dug holes, I poured concrete and I set the posts. And lo and behold, I come back the next day, all the posts are crooked in the concrete. <laughs> I knew I was in big trouble because, you know, we put a lot of concrete in, we had a lot of heavy posts and in my car, I'm sitting there browsing the book trying to figure out what did I do wrong. And the lady who was home, her husband was away at work, um, came out with a cordless phone and said, my husband wants to talk to you. And he said, uh, look, my wife told me that you're reading a book on how to do a deck and that you know, the whole backyard is a wreck. He's like, I want you to leave my house immediately. And uh, you know, I, I agreed. He said, if you leave, nothing bad will happen. Just leave the wood and just leave and, you know, this will be this be over. So I um, we actually changed. We were initially Long Island decks. We changed the name of our company to Long Island decks after that experience. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh But we felt that we now figured out what we did wrong. You know how we set right. the post. We we figured out the mistake, and then we had happened to have gone on to build next and, and the next 140 decks that we built were perfect.
1: Oh, that's um,
2: amazing. But uh, that's called learning on the job.
1: That's hysterical, (laughs) that job, what do they call it, Um, Yeah, learning on the job, I guess we'll just keep it at that. But that's hysterical, Jeff. But you know what? This is a lesson that people can learn. It's paying it forward is that you just have to have guts. If you believe in something, it will happen. Like my mother always taught me that, that if you have a true, true belief in something and you really want it that badly, You'll make it happen, and it seems to me that you have that inspiration within yourself, that drive to make, to make things happen, and you didn't give up after that first time. Like, a lot of people probably would have wanted to crawl into a hole and not come back, but you kind of, I could see you, Jeff, right now laughing it off, saying to the guy, no problem waiting well, it, to find <laughs> it. Whites, wasn't funny, it
2: wasn't funny then, but in hindsight, it's, it's an important story.
1: Yeah, that's hysterical. So, all right. So now we move on, and here you are in college. You helped other people, um, sure. you know, learn their computer skills, which mm-hmm. is, that must have been so rewarding, like you said. And Great experience. What, what did you do after that, Jeff?
2: So I left college in my junior year, and I moved to New York City. And mm-hmm. personal circumstances required me to just, you know, not, I, I unfortunately was not able to stay and finish. And I had a, I had, taught myself to be a computer programmer since I was a young kid, way long before Dex. As a hobby, I was, I was playing with um, computers, and I was able to go to New York City, and I was able to apply for a job um, as a computer programmer. Um, you know, it, it wasn't a direct match. The kind of programming that you might do at home isn't necessarily the kind of programming a software development firm uh, requires. So when I was looking for this job, I would spend the day highlighting all the ads, all the key words that I did not understand, I'd go to Barnes & Noble, sit on the floor there, read the books, and figure out what the hell these ads were talking about. But I knew enough about programming, combined with what I learned the night before at Barnes & Noble. Uh And uh, lo and behold, I got a job as a programmer for a salary that at the time I thought was very good, and uh, good enough that it was helping me take care of some personal circumstances
1: at home.
2: Um, So uh, uh, college, job as a programmer, and... Uh Job as a programmer lasted definitely more than three months, but less than six. And I found two guys there that I was able to peel off, and we were, you know, we, we, we put a business together.
1: Wow. This is what I'm talking about guts, Jeff. So you had the guts to turn around from uh, a paying job, a steady paying job, to go out to pull two guys off, not knowing what was going to come for the future. But once again, you made it happen. So go ahead. Tell us what happened then.
2: So so, so two gentlemen that I worked with, and, and you know, salaries at the time were thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 a year. Mm-hmm. And so we had this idea, um, something that we learned at the place that we were working. Customers really wanted their computers managed, and they really wanted to manage their network. And when I say customers, the kind of customers we were dealing with were Fortune 1000 companies. And so we were writing software, but the software that we were writing was good, but the customers were kind of asking for something a little bit different. And so we went out to build a platform and a software, a software system that would manage people's technology for them. Particularly when you have a lot of locations and a lot of branch offices or a lot of stores. You don't know what's going on with the technology in those locations. And all of a sudden, you know, somebody calls your help desk and says, hey, we have a problem. You know, that's a reactive solution. You know, what if we could write software that would analyze the computers in all of these locations and discover problems potentially before they occur. And today, this is fairly common technology, but in 1990, nothing like this existed. So we had left, and we had started a company called LandSafe for local area network safety, which is a key term in networking, and we wrote this software that enabled us to manage computer networks around the country. Wow. Um, We met with clients. we, We explained to them what we had. It was, when you start a company, it, the value proposition has to be such a no-brainer that there's no way they're going to say no. And they still say no, but it's got to be no risk for the customer. It's got to be such an extreme amount of value that it's just ridiculous that if they do say no, and if they are saying no, it's it's some other reason, whether it's a budget reason or they don't like you reason or something else. But when you're at that stage of a company and you've got an idea, you know, it's, got to, it's got to be that good. And lo and behold, we were able to get our software installed at some very, very large companies.
1: That's great, Jeff. And I'll tell you, probably a lot of those people that said no, one of my recent guests, um, her quote was, no doesn't mean no forever. It could mean no, just not right now. And I'm sure that happened a lot.
2: Well, I I have a a saying that I tell people and that I I always think about is that it's five no's before you get a yes.
1: Five no's. And, you know,
2: you you. you don't give up on the first no. And, you know, you listen to what the customer is saying, two ears, one mouth. Always listen twice as much as you speak. And, you know, come back to them again and say, okay, I heard what you said last time, the price was too high, I've done it this way. I've got it now at a better price for you. Okay, the price is not too high, the system's not fast enough. Okay, we've come back and now we've made it faster and the price is better. So it's five nodes before you get a yes. Uh, a yeah, no is not a discouraging word.
1: Yeah, and that's what it is, Jeff. I think for all the entrepreneurs out there is that, you probably just have to take the emotion out of it. And when somebody says no, they're not saying no to you personally. They might be saying no to the concept of the business. And I just know when I talk to a lot of the mom entrepreneurs, it's so hard for them to separate themselves. And it's so, so important to just kind of forge ahead. And like you said, you just keep trying until you can turn that no into a yes.
2: And look, you know, when you say emotion, I think it's, it's important to differentiate between emotion and passion, right? Yeah. Definitely you got, the passion has got to come through. People got to see that you really believe in this and you see something here and there's a reason why you're knocking on somebody's door or telling somebody about what you're doing. Emotion is that you don't want to break down in front of somebody and, uh, you know, cry because they told you no. But <laughs> you, you want to be passionate. Right. Passion has got to come through. Right.
1: All right. So I love that tip. That's very, very great. That's great. All right, Jeff. So, um, then you went on and you So we so so myself
2: and these three people started this company uh-huh. and the company did well. And I said to them, I go, Let's go out and let's go raise some capital and take this thing much bigger. And wow. much to my surprise, they were like, No. Wow. And I did not apply my five no's to a yes here, but they said no. I go, Well, why not? They go, Well, we were making, you know, $35,000 a year. Now we're making $75,000 a year. We're happy. This is the greatest thing in the world. Right. I'm like, what do you mean happy? We've just gotten started. <laughs> right? I mean, forget, this. who cares about the salary? You know, we're going right. to build a huge company here. And they're Please. like, no. This is yeah. the gr- I, am no, I am no longer living in my mom's garage. I am now. Now I, now I can pay my own bills. I'm thrilled. I don't want to change anything.
1: There you and go. It's like, well, either you go mark. or
2: I go. And like yeah. Either you buy me out or I have to buy you out because... Uh, this is just a starting point. Uh, and, and for them, it was the end point. You know, they, they, they'd achieved what they'd wanted. And you know what? I learned over time that, that some people are happy with that, and there's nothing wrong with it. And the right. fact that they, it, it was hard for me to understand that, I still have a hard time understanding it. But you know what? I've learned to accept that that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. And it yeah. just wasn't for me. And it goes to, you know, it speaks to when you pick your business partners and you pick the people you work with. Very important to understand who you're picking you know, to do these things with, so I learned then and there that, hey, great guys, good guys, smart guys, different level of motivation, different level of agenda. So hey, let's you know we, 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 we've come up with an amicable way to separate. Mm-hmm. I, I had sold my part of the company to them. They had went out and gotten a bank loan to buy me out, and I was extremely happy. I had gotten the initial capital I needed to launch my, my next company, and with that capital. There was no partners, so there was only one person, me, and I was motivated already. So that problem was resolved, and now I'm off to the races on the next business.
1: Yeah, see, that's great, Jeff. Now, with that experience, as you know, with that partnership, did that um, did that make you really second guess getting partners in the future with your other companies? Or did you just really learn from that experience and you probably became more of a professional, like you said, picking and choosing your partners?
2: You know, what it taught me was things are easy to do and very hard to undo. Hmm. So when you pick partners, remember that it's easy to say, hey, this is really exciting, we should do this. But if you ever have to undo it, it's going to be a difficult thing. Um, So... You know, it makes me not, not want to have partners. I absolutely I enjoy working with other people. I enjoy having a partner. I enjoy the energy. I enjoy somebody who's right. got complementary skills. I'm not a detail person. I need somebody who can. There, there are certain things that I need done that I can't do, and I recognize yeah. that.
1: But and that's, that's another is, lesson. Yeah. Um,
2: but I picking th- partners is important.
1: I think that that is so, so good. Oh. Jeff, um, we'll get back to that in just a minute. We're going to take a quick break.
0: We'll be right back with more Paying It Forward with Josephine Gerasi right after these on TogiNet.com. Inspiring women to be true to themselves. Get ready for Tracy Porter Radio on TogiNet.com. 2 p.m. Central, Wednesdays, starting November 4th. Tracy Porter, lifestyle, home, and fashion designer, inspiring women from all over the world with their fashionably eclectic goods, savvy tips, style advice, and encouraging spirit. TracyPorter.com is home to her designer products and voice to thousands of women who flock to Tracy's daily blog for a daily dose of pure Tracy. And now she's coming to TogiNet. All of Tracy's enchanting goods can be found at TracyPorter.com and her nationally sought after mail catalog, Tracy Porter. Plus, you can find her here on TogiNet. Tracy's awards, appearances, and accolades are too numerous to mention here. So, ladies, you've just got to come to be inspired, too. With Tracy Porter Radio, inspiring women to be true to themselves, to let their passions lead. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central, starting November 4th, on toginet.com. Welcome back to Paying It Forward, the show dedicated to helping every entrepreneur be more successful as we discuss accomplishments, lessons learned, and sharing those ideas. Now, let's get back to Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi on Toginet.com. Welcome back,
1: everyone. It's Josephine and Jeff Paul, and I, we were just having a discussion about the fact when you choose to start a company, if you choose to bring in partners to make sure that you do your homework beforehand and um, on the note of starting companies you know whether you decide to go solo or bring in partners I thought a good topic for us to talk about Jeff would be building a team and sure. one of the first things I was taught when um, when I entered into a special training program fresh out of graduate school was that you must surround yourself with smart people so what are the qualities you look for when you are creating your team?
2: Well, um, complementary skills. I think, first of all, you know, go back to the kind of business that you want to build.
0: Okay. If you're, if,
2: if you're, saying, if you're imagining something that's a smaller company, and smaller I mean by headcount, hard work and integrity are the most important traits. Okay. And that's, and that's the most important trait in any kind of company you build, but that's the most important trait to start with. Right? You've got to be willing to work hard. Working hard is a huge advantage. I can't tell you how many people just they think they might work hard, they might want to work hard, but they don't. And hard work is just you know a giant advantage. As you develop and as you grow your company, nobody's a one-man show. Right. So you need to think about how do I get the right people or how do I get the right partners. And you know, in that conversation that you might have with yourself, it's really important to be introspective and say, you know what, this is what I'm good at. I like sales or I like operations, or I like accounting, or I like product design, or I like graphic design, and figure out what it is that you really bring to the table here. And I don't like doing these things, and understanding that clearly, and then solving that. And you can solve that one of two ways. You can solve it by bringing a partner on, or you can solve it by hiring the people around you. So, you know, should you surround yourself with smart people? You should surround yourself with smart people, whether it has to do with your kids at school, your friends, or your business, right? That's, that's a common denominator. Right. But the right kinds of smart people. So, hey, what is it that I love doing everything? I got into this business because I wanted to do X, Y, and Z. But I didn't want to do the accounting work. I didn't want to do the customer service work. And so that's, that's the framework to start thinking about who I should bring on. Well, I can't afford to hire all these people, but I know this guy or this lady, and they would be perfect to come on and do all these things for me. And, you know, that's, it. that's the basis of having a conversation. Look, this is what I bring to the table. This is what you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. I'm valuing what I bring to the table this way. I value what you do this way. I can hire I can hire what you do for X, Y, and Z, $100,000 a year. If you do it and I don't have to spend that $100,000 a year, I think my business is worth $300,000 a year, and therefore I give you a third of my company potentially. Some formula. You know, it's important to right. quantify what somebody brings to the table, what it's worth to you. And when you have the right person, and then you have the right idea of how you value that person, only then can you have a discussion about how to make a deal or a transaction with a business partner. Mm -hmm. Hiring people is a little bit different, but Mm -hmm. you're not bringing them on. um, You're not bringing them on as an equity partner. You're not signing a document with them that's a shareholder agreement. Um, It's a little bit easier. The greatest thing about hiring and they'll take this the wrong way, is that you can fire the people. You can fix the mistakes. When you bring on a partner, it's a much, much, much harder mistake to fix if it doesn't work out right.
1: That's so funny because, of course, one of the tips is hire slow, fire fast. And sometimes for mom entrepreneurs out there, Jeff, including myself, I have to say probably one of the biggest mistakes I made with my own company was I hired this uh, young girl that was, I felt sorry for her. And mm-hmm. I didn't have the heart to let her go. And meanwhile, I finally put my foot down and I said, oh, my gosh, this is costing my business money. I really have to let her go. And I have to tell right. you, I felt so bad about it. But you got to do what you got to do for the sake well, of your yep. business. And I think a lot of times it's just so important to be direct. In- well, okay.
2: This goes back to emotion, right? This is where you want to keep emotion out of the conversation and you want to make a, you know, a good business decision. Um, when you have to let people go, I will tell you from personal experience when I was building my second company mm-hmm. that I had acquired a business. And the business came with, I think, if I'm remembering, 30 or 40 employees. And there was a group of employees there. They weren't a group together, but there was just a, a certain amount of employees that, that I had identified that I sat down with and I had hoped they'd come along. I wish they would come along. I wish they would start to do the things that we were asking them to do. And I spent six months wishing mm-hmm. and hoping. It just never happened. And it yeah. was, you know, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars in payroll. It was a, a, a $600,000 mistake wishing and hoping that these people would come along. And I learned right then and there that, hire, you know, hire slow, fire fast. And you know what? It was a cancer in the organization. Mm-hmm. The, the company was completely different once I made the decision to fire those people. Going forward, I promised myself I'd never make the mistake again about wishing and hoping and dreaming and thinking and hoping that people will come around. They don't, they won't, and the only one who's gonna suffer is you. So yeah, you gotta let the people go fast that don't make sense. So as a CEO of a company though, and today my companies generally are much larger than they were when I was building Dex, Mm -hmm. Um, I spend 50% of my time hiring people. I spend 50% of my time with my customers, and I spend 50% of my time with people who I wanna recruit and hire. You don't hire great people, you hire good people, you hire people that you think can do the job. You develop great people over time. They develop with you. You develop with them. That's a good hire, and they're very, very, very difficult to do. Anybody who says that they met somebody and they hired them on the first interview, they're making an amateur mistake. There's no way. Nobody can do that. That's why companies have human resource departments with multiple rounds of interviews. You need to get to know the people that you're going to hire, and they're very, very important decisions, and if you make them wrong, you can lose your business.
1: Yeah, so Jeff, I know you take this whole interviewing process very very seriously, and sometimes it includes a mountain bike. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
2: It includes what? Say that again?
1: A mountain bike.
2: Oh, so, look, <laughs> you know, I want to get to know people. I don't want to know just about their job. I want to know about them. And so, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to, whether it's going for a walk with somebody down the block and, you know, I, I had the benefit of living in New York City, which I think is one of the greatest places in the world. Um, you know, so if I can, you know, get out of the office, let's go walk through Central Park, let's talk, tell me about yourself, tell me about the things you've done. There's a lot more to see about somebody than just what shows up on a resume. Get somebody comfortable, get them out of the office, let take their tie off uh, and, uh, you know, let them relax and, you know, talk about them and get to know them. And that takes time. And, uh, you know, some people are comfortable with that and some people aren't. The kind of people who are comfortable in the, you know, doing those kind of things are probably people who would fit the culture of the kind of companies that I build. Yeah. So it's important for me to spend one-on-one time, personal time, and outside of the office time with people who I meet.
1: Yeah, you're so smart. You're so smart, Jeff, because... I think you're so right. If somebody is uncomfortable taking a walk with you through Central Park, how comfortable are they going to be running, you know, joining your company, following direction, or I disagree with that. That's, hey, that's Look, smart. if you want to
2: hire salespeople, get them out to a social setting. If they can't sell themselves at a bar, a nightclub, a restaurant, they can't meet somebody and say hello and shake somebody's hand and introduce themselves. They can't sell themselves. They're never going to sell your product. Yeah, here's so the right. it's an easy way to flush out whether you've got somebody here who can sell or not.
1: Yeah. Now, Jeff, what are your thoughts about hiring family? Would you mm-hmm. hire family?
2: Um, you know, I've, I've 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 hired family and I've had success in hiring family. Um, I think that, you know, it, it's about a clear understanding. One doesn't take advantage of the other and vice versa. And I think it's a difficult thing to do. Again, you know, that word emotion probably pops up again in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's a level of maturity on both parts. You know, you know, can this be done this way? And can you leave, you know, the personal stuff and the family stuff uh, separate aside from the productive stuff? And can you make money with this person? Look, you're hiring people so you can make money off of them. Can you make money off of these people? And are they okay with you making lots and lots of money off of them? Um, and if that's okay, you know, I, I've seen it work in the past, and, of course, we've seen it not work in the past.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's hard when it doesn't work because it's not like your family goes away. It's, it causes an uncomfortable situation, and you've got to, you know, somehow get around it.
2: We're going to all make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes with the people that work for you, and the people who work for you are going to make mistakes for you. And, you know, that might be compounded based on a personal relationship. So it's something that has to be thought through. There's no, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer to this. It really just depends.
1: All right. I like that answer. So now just to switch gears a little, Jeff, I have a question for you. Do you believe there is in some sort of pattern or formula to becoming a successful entrepreneur? Is there a pattern that you've seen? I mean, now you're getting ready to do your fifth company, which is Mm -hmm. a startup, There's got to be some kind of pattern or formula that maybe you're, perhaps you're following.
2: You know, it goes back to hard work, perseverance, persistence beats resistance, um, and integrity, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Look, at this point in my life, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm building on success. I can hire, I'm going to rehire eight of the people I worked with in my last company at the start, right? So those patterns emerge. You know, a lot of investors and professional investors and venture capital investors talk about pattern recognition. And look, this is doing the same thing. This company here looks like it's doing the same thing that Google did early on. You know, and they they have this theory about pattern recognition. I don't really buy into that. Okay. Um, I think that uh, there are a million variables that make or break a company and there's no way you can know what's going on in my life to be able to apply a pattern to it. Um, So I'm not... I'm not a – I don't see that pattern. Um, I see the basic tenets, though, in successful people. And, again, it's hard work, it's integrity, it's passion, it's perseverance, it's belief.
1: Yeah. I think that that's great. Maybe it's
2: traits but not patterns.
1: Right. Okay. All right. That sounds great. So, Jeff, now – who has been your greatest inspiration? Like, I just, every time I see you, every time I hear, like, I can hear it in your voice. It's just you've got this burning desire in there that something is inspiring you. What is it?
2: Um, you know, I don't think that some, I don't think people can say that, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. It's actually, it's almost to me impossible to understand how a college offers a program on being an entrepreneur. I don't think it's something that you can decide to be or not be. I just think it's something that you have or you don't have. Mm-hmm. So where the passion comes from, you know, it just might be the way we're wired or the environment that you were brought up in that, that drove you to this. Um, you know, I uh, it's not something that you learn. It's something that you just are. And, look, like I said, you know, this is what makes horse races, you know, it's, this, this is why there are singers, and this is why there are dancers. Right? There are different things that people do, and being an entrepreneur is uh, it's a privilege, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's an opportunity, and uh, you know, it's it's. I feel it's what I was meant to do. I don't know the other way. Yeah. So when you say you know where, where does it come from? It's just the way I am.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. I, so I don't funny. know what it's
2: like to not be inspired when I meet. And look, this is a fault of mine. When I meet people, right. I'm like, well, why don't you leave and start your own company? You can do this. You're doing it right here for them. Like, right. well, I can't do it because of these 20 reasons. I'm like, no, 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 those are, those are just smoke screens. You can absolutely do this. But you know what? I should probably keep my mouth shut. <laughs> they probably don't want to do it. and They're probably doing what they're doing for a reason.
1: Right. Well, that's so funny, Jeff, because I just don't see you sitting behind a desk nine to five. But anyway, Gosh. all right. We're well, coming up to our last segment. We'll be back shortly.
0: Be right back with more Paying It Forward with Josephine Gerasi. Right after these on TogiNet.com. Being frugal doesn't mean being cheap, and the frugalitarian is here to show you how. Jody Olson is the frugalitarian on TogiNet, 3 p.m. Central, Wednesdays.
1: This is the art of great living. It's just a matter of time before people start asking you to tell them
0: your secrets to better style, bargains on food, home decor, and clothing. Your wants don't have to change, just how you acquire what you want. On the frugalitarian, it's an uncommon mix of style, fashion savvy, and earth friendly, showing you great taste, great style, and great ideas for finding everything you want for nearly nothing. I'm speaking from experience. I live on a beautiful farm where I take care of sheep and do a few light farm chores for extremely low rent. For more clever ideas on how to waste not and totally want not, go to thefrugalitarian.com. Join us every week for more information on how you can live better for less with Jody Olson. It's The Frugalitarian, Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Celebrate, good times. Come on. Celebrate Green Halloween to tips, tricks, ideas, and projects for every holiday. You'll love Celebrate Green. You can check them out online, too, at CelebrateGreen.net and GreenHalloween.org for more information. The newsletter, the blogs, places to shop, cool extras, and so much more. So get ready to Celebrate Green, the radio show with Lynn and Corey, Wednesdays at noon Central Time, starting November 4th on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Paying It Forward, the show dedicated to helping every entrepreneur Be more successful as we discuss accomplishments, lessons learned, and sharing those ideas. Now, let's get back to Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi on Toginet.com.
1: Well, welcome back everyone. It's hard for me to believe that we're on our fourth segment of Paying It Forward with Jeff Leventhal. And um, because it just goes so fast when you're having fun. But, Jeff, um, before we get started with my final question, I thought that maybe you could just give us a little update on exactly what you're working on now.
2: Well, my whole career has been around logistics and getting people to the right place at the right time to perform a service. And so when I told you I started a company that was in the network management business, the customer said, and it was a great business, and it was a lot of fun to run the business, and it was a, success, it was a successful business. But mm-hmm. what I learned, the customer said, well, thanks for telling us you found a problem in our branch office in Oregon. Can you fix it? Oh, wow. And lo and behold, I was like, well, don't you have big companies that fix it? Don't you have people around the country that show up and fix these problems? And I said, no. So I went on to build a company um, that addressed the problem of fixing the problems that network management systems identified. And I had sold that in 1998. I had signed a five-year non-compete, um, so I had taken five years off. And when I say off, you know, I did things like consulting and a lot of thinking and family stuff. But So not off completely, but um, I didn't build a business during those years. And then in 2003, I had come up with a way of making the idea of getting people to the right place at the right time to show up in a marketplace format. So I had built a company called OnForce. And uh, the website, OnForce.com, it's a a very successful company. They're doing great today. Um, I started in 2003, and I did exit the business in 2006, or very late
1: 2006.
2: Mm -hmm. And um, it was a further iteration of helping companies procure labor on demand. Now what I'm trying to do is I'm working on a company that I call Work Market, where um, I want to take the work that I did of getting the right people to the right place but broaden it to other verticals than just technology. So I've got till April second that my non-compete from my last sale expires in, you know, a few days. Um, I'm excited about that expiration, and I can then start start my new startup. Um, but I'm fascinated with labor and temporary labor and helping people and companies um, perform services that are one hour to 30 day assignment.
1: Wow, that sounds great. So it sounds so funny, Jeff, because it sounds like we're at the races, and you're right there ready for the race to start on April 2nd. So I want you to know I wish you all the best of luck with that, which doesn't sound like you need it. You just have fun with everything you do. Hmm. So on to my last question for you. So, Jeff, in your opinion, what are the five key elements for starting and running a successful business?
2: Well, I don't know if there are key elements. I think about businesses really in terms of value creation, right? One plus one has to equal ten. Otherwise, there's no need. So I start out with the idea, uh-huh. then the team, then the product, then the first day you sell that product. I'm not saying be profitable. Just the first day somebody gives you money for your product, uh-huh. and not somebody who's your good friend or your mom or your sister because they, they feel bad for you because you're struggling. <laughs> uh, but somebody outside gives you money for your product. And then cash flow, even, and then the exit so I look at those as the key value creation moments. So you have an idea. That's great. Now you've got to get a team of people to help you execute that idea. And a team doesn't mean you have to hire people, but right. nobody's a one-man show. It means right. you have to contract with the right people, find the right people, ask for favors, and you have to figure out how to get something built with little or no capital. Capital is just an excuse. That is really literally, it's just an excuse. I'll give you just a little, little diversion here is that people who complain about the catch-22s, that's for corporate executives. I can't do this because I can't do that. I can't get this sale because I can't get that money because I can't get that sales guy. I can't get that thing. Those are just complaints. Those are nonsense and those are not entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs solve catch-22. That's the value creation. So you have the idea. You have the team that's going to help you build the product and take the idea to fruition. Once you have your product, and it takes a long time between these stages. These can be months. Sometimes maybe they're years, depending on the kind of business. If you're in the biotechnology business, it might take years of research to build your product. If you're selling cancer, it's going to take years. Um, and uh, uh, once you have your product, you've got to get out there and you've got to sell it. And once somebody gives you a dollar for that product, you're a different business. You're no longer an R&D business. You're no longer thinking about an idea and building a product. You're now a business. Now you're running a business. Now your idea is to get profitable. And once you're profitable, it's, it's, it's like the day of reckoning. Like mm-hmm. everything you've worked for for the last year, two years, five years has finally come true. A big burden is lifted off your shoulders, and now the business is standing on its own two feet. And wow. then, of course, why did you do all this? Hopefully um, it's so that it's, it, it. and again, money is not the only goal. Freedom, my, freedom is my goal. I mean, I, it, doing these things gives me the freedom to do the things that I want to do. Um, money is yeah. always secondary to me. So, but anyway, you know, just going to hope I'm answering your question. But You're that's doing great. I, look at
1: I love that question. And on that note of freedom that you love so much, Jeff, the problem is I have my three-year-old, and I know your neighbors say the same thing. They can't understand why their friend's daddy doesn't go to work. <laughs> and, and it's so funny because you have to explain to all these young kids and all the moms when we meet up at school and them, you know, not often are the dads able to take time off of work to be there, but there you are all proud. Your kids are so proud to have Daddy there, and little do they know you're burning the midnight oil and you really work hard. So it's and funny. my best
2: ideas come to me when I'm mountain biking, when I'm, when I'm doing yeah. something, when I'm exerting some physical energy, uh, yeah. and just frankly when I'm brainstorming and talking to this smart entrepreneurs like yourself. That's when I get my ideas.
1: Yeah, I love that. I, I, they don't I, happen in the office. Yeah, you're so funny. So, Jeff, what do you do to relax? Tell us.
2: I read. And I can't, I can't, you know, look, I can't overemphasize how important it is to read. I probably read two or three books a week, and, you know, I read two newspapers a day and four or five magazines as they come out. And um, I find reading both relaxing. I find that I find a lot of my ideas um, being confirmed by what I read. And so it motivates me. It um, gets me thinking about ideas, and finally, I also I find it relaxing. It's quiet time for me.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's great, and it's that's another tip, you know, Jeff. How I just remember you telling me or asking me once, so what are the trade magazines that you read? That it's just so important that you stay on top of your industry, and it's important to stay on think...
2: top of the industry. But you know what? It's the, the trade magazines I feel kind of couch you. And so I don't love reading the trades. I'm inventing the ideas, right? So yeah. reading the trades, I was like, I'm reading about what was invented ten years ago. Right. It's the periodicals I like to read. That, that kind of gives me a vibe on what people are thinking, where pe- where things are going, where we're going with this country. You know, um, a lot of the legislation that we're passing, you know, you got to think about it in the context of being an entrepreneur. Is this friendly business building legislation? Is it not? So I get things like that out of my reading, and I read all the typical things. That, there's nothing that I read that would surprise you. I read the Economist, I read Forbes, mm-hmm. I read Fortune read the Wall Street Journal and I read the New York Times. Um, so things of that nature.
1: Yeah, I think that
2: I don't cool. read fairytown uh, novels. Not that mm-hmm. there's anything wrong with them, I just don't get much from them.
1: Yeah. No, I hear you, Jeff. So, so Jeff, what are your business tips for us as far as everyday stuff that, you know, the the average business owner can do? Like, let me see, I'm trying to get... Like, what does your desk look like? Do you have a certain system to your desk? Do you have – I know you love your dry erase board. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: I like whiteboards. And, look, there's, again, there's no point. What works for me, you know, probably wouldn't work for other people, and what works uh-huh. for other people probably wouldn't work for me. I like uh-huh. whiteboards. They help me think out my ideas. Um, I can draw. I can communicate. If you look at my business plans, uh-huh. they're mostly pictures. It's just how I communicate. I've got a lot of color. I've got a lot of pictures. I go, here's kind of where I want to get to. They don't have a lot of words. I don't write 20-page Word documents. I, write, I draw pictures of process and software and flows and things of that nature. So it's the way for me to communicate my idea to the people who I want to work with. And I communicate it to anybody, frankly, who comes to mind. Here's what I'm thinking about. What do you think? Um, I think it's really important to get a lot of different perspectives on what you're doing. can't do it in an ecosystem. So, Jeff, um, it
1: sounds to me like, so you come up with the big picture ideas, and you said you, you're not crazy about the nitty gritty detail all the time. Then would you hire somebody? I look, I'm,
2: the detail's important. I'm just not the yeah. person to handle it.
1: Right. Um, so we, my,
2: my theory is go big or go home. You've got to come up with a big idea that's going to change the world,
1: mm-hmm. and then
2: there's a lot to do to do it.
1: Okay. So that's um, when as far as a
2: business owner you know. goes, mm-hmm. look, the one thing you can never get back in life is your time. And you've got to prioritize and use your time properly. Whether you've got a family and you've got kids, and look, this is the first time I'm going to build a big business with young kids. And that's, more than anything else, my biggest concern is that balance and getting that in order. That's the biggest risk. I've told that to the investors that want to work with me, that, you know what, the risk is not my idea. It's not the ability to do it. It's the ability to balance this new segment of my life.
1: Yeah, you know what, Jeff? I love that about you is that you had said to me once, about you know, with me starting, my mom knows best with Glovies and having such young children. You said you know I, I don't remember. I can't quote you exactly, but I just remember you saying to me, "Don't worry, the business is always going to be there. Your kids aren't going to be young forever." So in other words, just find the right balance that you're okay with. Mm-hmm. But it will all it'll all kind of work out. I don't. Do you remember what you said to me? It's more like I
2: don't remember exactly. Yeah. Um,
1: but everyone, my advice is
2: probably worth what you were paying for it, which is nothing. But, uh, <laughs> no,
1: you're great. Are you kidding? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, you know, finding balance. And, look, the, the economy never shuts down. There's always an economy for good ideas. right? The economy could be sinking. It's just another excuse, right? But, uh, right. no, there's always time. There's, there's, there'll always be time to do an idea, right? The kids are, you know, that is finite, right? There's only a certain right. amount of time you're going to get with them while they're young. So get it, get it when you can.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, it's just, it's kind of a privilege to be an entrepreneur is kind of the way I look at it because it does give you that, it gives you more control over your life is kind of the way I look at it, that you pick and choose how you're going to spend your time, and it's...
2: It's an absolute privilege. Uh, you know, and it's pick and choose. I've, this is the life I've chosen. This is, this is what I am, and so it's not that I necessarily get to pick and choose. it. It's what I am and it's what I do.
1: Yeah, and you do a really good job at it, Jeff,
2: which Thank is you. what,
1: you know, you really are an inspiration, and I feel that my listeners probably got, you know, 50 tips from you today because you've just been such a big, big help, and Great. I know you had a really big meeting today that you put on the side, on the back burner for us here at Paying It Forward, and I so, so appreciate it. So, Hey, Jeff, my pleasure. We have 15 seconds. Tell us, um, tell us, how can somebody get in touch with you if they wanted to, to get in touch with you?
2: Uh, well, you know, um, um, if you search my name, you'll come up with my LinkedIn profile, I'm sure, and you'll come in with my uh, uh, Facebook page, potentially, although I, I don't really use Facebook, but uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to find me and reach me.
1: Okay, that's Jeff Leventhal on LinkedIn. But, Jeff, thank you again for your time. I so appreciate it. Have a great Thanks, day, Josephine. Jeff. It was great. Okay, take care.
0: Thank you for being a part of Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi on Togginet.com. This show is dedicated to helping every entrepreneur be more successful. Each week we'll be discussing accomplishments.